the other potential opportunity I see that we have is maybe people will begin to change their behavior. And I think if we could have a policy to try and reduce air pollution across Ontario, one of the easiest ones would be trying to reduce congestion. Considering everyday air contaminants in extraordinary times. Hello and welcome to View to the U, an eye on UTM research. I'm Carla DeMarco at U of T, Mississauga. View to the U is a monthly podcast that will feature UTM faculty members from a range of disciplines who will illuminate some of the inner workings of the science labs and enlighten the social sciences and humanities hubs at UTM. On this episode, I chat with air pollution scientist, Professor Matthew Adams from UTM's Department of Geography about his research, which focuses on our exposure to air contaminants in urban environments. He talks about some of the impacts reduced traffic in the Greater Toronto Area, or GTA, and Ontario has had on urban environments due to schools and several businesses being shut down. Matt also talks about the ways in which the current pandemic has shifted some of his lab's work and changes he hopes to see in urban behaviour going forward. Matthew Adams is an assistant professor in geography at the University of Toronto, Mississauga, and in the Department of Geography and Planning at U of T. His research background is in environmental analysis, and he obtained his undergraduate and master's degrees at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, and his PhD in the School of Geography and Earth Sciences at McMaster University. He has held faculty appointments at both McMaster and Ryerson University. Matt joined the Geography Department at UTM in 2017. Our research is really focused on trying to understand air pollutants in the air that we breathe. So the air that's at ground level, the air that you are breathing every day. And we want to know how the urban environment really shapes an individual's exposure to air pollution. Thinking about the ways that they commute to work, where they live, where they spend time outside, what aspects of those environments can affect someone's individual level of air quality with really the long-term goal of being able to estimate a person's air pollution exposure without having to put a personal monitor on them. That's our really long-term objective. And you focus primarily in the GTA, right? We focus in the GTA. We work with some other colleagues, actually quite a bit in Brazil as well, and one of my postdocs that is actually in Rwanda right now. So we are starting to bridge more out into Africa because when we look at it from an air pollution science standpoint, it has some of the worst conditions. It has a lot of conditions that are similar to ours in North America that we understand really well, transportation-dominated environments. And so we're really trying to understand the parallels, the differences, and putting energy into research within Africa because it's clearly the least well-understood aspect of our planet for air quality. And so I don't know if it's too early to talk about this. Over the past few months, obviously, with a lot of schools and businesses closed and less people traveling to work and school and for things like social engagements, I'm just wondering if there's been a noticeable decrease in the amount of air pollution or urban air pollution that you've been able to measure? Yeah, this is definitely an interesting one. I'm sure you've been seeing different reports, Mm -hmm. you know, coming out of China, Italy, different parts of the world saying dramatic decreases in air pollution associated to these lockdowns. So our group, well, what I've been working on since 
the COVID shutdown in March is trying to understand what effect this is having on our urban environments across Ontario. And this work is still being developed, but really what I saw, and we were able to look at three different pollutants. So I'll begin with what is probably the most commonly discussed air pollutant, which is fine particulate matter. And this is particles in the air can be composed of many different materials, and they're very small, and they have a lot of health effects associated to them. When we look at the data across the time period from March through to April, we actually didn't see any change for this particular pollutant. And it makes sense when we back up and try to understand what the sources are. And across Ontario, a lot of the sources for this pollutant is residential. Might be burning of materials or other residential effects. So with people spending more time in their residences, any benefit that we could have anticipated seeing from traffic reductions of this pollutant are probably being offset. And as well, this pollutant has been fairly well controlled across Ontario over the past few decades. So we would have potentially fairly small gains to be made. Then when we look at more of our transportation dominated pollutants across Ontario, that's where we're starting to see the effects. So nitrogen dioxide, oxides of nitrogen, these are gases that are either emitted or formed shortly after from exhaust from the combustion of fossil fuels. And across Ontario, we've been seeing some notable declines. It's really important to know, though, that this pollutant, as we go from winter to summer, tends to decrease. It's decreasing because a lot of it becomes transformed into another air pollutant, which is ozone. So this is the same chemical properties that we would think of as the ozone layer. Mm -hmm. And that's really beneficial to us. It's a necessity for us. But ozone at ground level or ozone that we can breathe in has a lot of detrimental effects to our health. So nitrogen oxides, they tend to transition, you know, they convert through a few different processes that we won't get into detail with from concentrations of nitrogen dioxide, for example, into ozone. And so when we do these analyses, I've seen a lot of people's work where they compare what are concentrations a month ago versus what are concentrations now. The challenge with that is you're not accounting for this change in the chemistry and atmospheric chemistry that's going on where we tend to see as, as urban environments warm up or all environments actually across the globe, this conversion as we have more sunlight. So my work, it's not yet published, but it's in the final processes. What we saw is we looked at what's going on this year, but what's also gone on in the past five years. And we saw some of the lowest concentrations ever of this pollutant. And then we looked at what was going on a few months before all these social isolation practices were enacted, and we weren't seeing these same reductions. So we are fairly confident that the reductions we're seeing in nitrogen dioxide are going to be related to this reduction in transportation around the GTA, around our major urban environments as well. We saw some reductions in Ottawa and Hamilton, but the biggest reductions are really happening in Toronto. And then for ozone, this is a pollutant that's not released into the environment, but it forms in the environment from some primary pollutants such as nitrogen dioxide. And the evidence from that was a little bit tricky to unravel. There was some suggestion that this reduction in commuting might be having an effect, but it's really not so clear just yet. 
And I think a lot of the challenge was trying to unravel the fact that we're heading into some of our highest ozone concentrations that we would see. Now, really digging into this, though, I think, you know, and I, this is more anecdotal than anything. I look around my neighborhood. I live in what I'd consider fairly typical suburban region of Ontario, be similar anywhere across Ontario. And what I'm seeing is a lot of delivery trucks. Yes. You know, a lot of people are, well, if we look at Amazon's profits over the last few months, it seems very clear that people are still purchasing a lot of materials, but instead of going to the store, most of the stores haven't been open for us for a long time. They are having those shipped to them. So, you know, we're really maybe offsetting some of the changes in our personal commuting behavior of not going to work with purchasing a lot more products through these online retailers, which, you know, are having more vehicles on the road and, and just more transportation associated with the delivery of those goods. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that. Like not only the delivery trucks, but there's still a lot of construction sites around. I've noticed in the GTA that, you know, there's a lot of pollution coming from those trucks as well. Yeah, that's something that as we head into the summer, we definitely see more and more of kind of two seasons in Canada of winter and construction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of those construction sites aren't following the regulations that are set out. And, you know, they're generating a lot of dust and particulate. And then you have, it's all diesel vehicles for the most part. And so there's a lot of emissions related to those diesel vehicles. So we definitely have a lot of industry still going on. We have a lot of construction. We have a lot of goods movement that are still going to be generating those pollutants across Canada, across Ontario, especially in around the GTA. And this pertains more so to one of your specific projects, but I know that one of the projects that you have ongoing that was funded by NSERC aims to develop an air and noise pollution model that would predict air and noise pollution conditions in urban areas prior to and during construction. I'm just wondering, so if you're coming up with this model, and though we're kind of in this different situation that we hadn't anticipated, will that affect the model that you were working on? Because these are sort of extraordinary times. Yeah, absolutely. So we're really interested in developing this model to understand the effects of building major transportation infrastructure, such as a light rail transit line. And what happens during that construction, what happens during the initial operation, and what happens you know, in long-term operation around air and noise pollution. And to achieve that, we have to collect a lot of data at a very local scale. You know, these effects are within a few hundred meters of the transportation corridor. And with all of the restrictions around research and COVID, you know, we have a blank period right now. To be very honest with you, we're not able to collect data. And of course, that's fine. There's bigger issues at hand right now. So it really depends, though, on what the recovery after COVID looks like. I can see a few different outcomes. One of those outcomes is that after we remove these restrictions, that it just goes back to what it was, you know, in 2019. You know, same levels of commute behavior, same levels of construction, all of that. And if that happens, our models, yeah, maybe for these few months in which air pollution concentrations have been different, won't be as applicable. But in the long run, the model will still tell the same story. The other potential opportunity I see that we have is maybe people will begin to change their behavior. And I think if we could have a policy to try and reduce air pollution, across Ontario, one of the easiest ones would be trying to reduce congestion. How often are people driving to work? If we look at 
any of the 400 series highways, morning and afternoon congestion, Monday to Friday, every road's congested. And that's generating a lot of our air pollutants in those local areas. And then they're being dispersed more broadly. But we're hearing ideas such as a four-day work week or maybe modified work weeks and people working from home. Any of these things are going to reduce the load on that network. You know, fewer vehicles means less congestion, means less pollution. And it's not linear. As we reduce these things, we start seeing really big gains. So that is something, you know, I'm really hopeful for. And it would definitely require some recalibration of our model. But our model is trying to understand two aspects the local effect and the background effect. And I think a lot of this that we're seeing would be more background effect, which is thankfully a bit easier to control when we look at our long-term monitoring records. Could you just expand on that just a little bit more? Because I'm not sure what you, what you mean when you say the local. Yeah, absolutely. So any city in Ontario, you're going to have just certain level of air pollution that's associated to long-term transport that might be coming from the U.S. You're also going to have just general sources. You know, for particles, we just have particles that are generated naturally, for example, and those are floating around in the air. So we need to understand that. But what our group is really interested in is the local component. And this you could think of as if you're ever driving into Toronto on the Gardner Expressway, for example, very heavily trafficked area, and you look 10 meters or, or less, and you'll see people's balconies there, and their windows might be open. And these are these local effects, people who are living near some of our major sources. A lot of the Canadian population lives within a few hundred meters of a major road. And we know along those major roads, there's a lot of local emissions that are going to be affecting those locations. So our group is really interested on those local components, which is largely transportation-related air pollutants. Okay, that helps. And I think you did touch on this, but aside from you said right now, some of what's going on is limiting your data collection. Has your research shifted very much during this time? Absolutely. I think our group is really focused on the ground data collection. We try to have very spatially dense monitoring campaigns. Uh, we use a few different technologies. Some of these are passive monitors that we affix to poles, light posts, for example. Others, we have a mobile laboratory that we can drive around and measure air quality. And all of this has, of course, been shut down. And so what we've started to do is really rely more on these existing long-term monitoring networks that are operated by the Ministry Environment Canada and pulling our data in from there to look at less spatially detailed data, but still data that's existing. We're able to see what's happening in the trends, what's happening broadly across Canada. And then we're starting to rely more on remotely sensed data. So these are satellite platforms that have instruments that can measure different air pollutants. So we might measure particulates and we can use those and we can look across all of Canada, across all of Ontario. Now, the resolution of the satellite is very different from what we're used to working with, but it's definitely an opportunity to have somewhat of a natural experiment. If we know fewer vehicles are on the road, we could almost parallel that to the electrification of a lot of vehicles. What would happen if we electrified X percent of our fleet? And this might be able to build into that story of the potential benefits of electric vehicles, for example, or what happens when we shift to a certain percentage of our population working from home. 
I think we're going to see a lot of interesting studies as we continue through this process. Yeah, I think so too. And so this is going to be my last question, but, uh, and again, if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to, but I'm just curious because this part of the the season of the podcast is kind of meant as a check-in with our faculty members who are also experiencing lockdown, just like the rest of us. I just wondered if there's anything that you've been doing during lockdown or maybe some successful coping strategies that you've been employing while in self-isolation. Yeah, this is definitely a challenge for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, the first thing that I really focused on were the grad students that I'm supervising and because a lot of them were planning to collect data this summer and we really needed to make sure that they'd still be on reasonable timelines. I didn't want this really affecting their length of time it's going to take them to receive their degree. So there was a lot of planning there in the beginning to make sure those students could pivot, modify their projects, work with existing data that we have or use some of these long-term monitoring stations to ensure that they had a project that they'd be able to complete on time. And that was definitely a lot of energy we put in as a group to identifying those challenges and then trying to pivot the different projects. From a personal standpoint, Mm -hmm. I am a lucky one to live out in kind of a suburb where there's lots of space to get out for walks. So definitely a lot of walking more than I ever do and a lot of gardening and landscaping around our house. So we've been doing a lot of that, (laughs) that sort of work. And I do have to say I did delve really deep in some questions about COVID right away and probably worked more than I normally would as a coping strategy. And I don't know if that's the most recommended one, but that's sort of how I dealt with this, especially in the beginning. Yeah, I think a lot of us were doing that too and just sort of being tuned into the news cycle to see what developments had happened. And it's probably not, like you say, the best way to cope. But as a researcher, you're probably just like, okay, what do I need to know? And yeah. yeah, definitely. I was uh, becoming an armchair epidemiologist for a okay. while there. <laughs> we work with epidemiologists in our work all the time for air quality because of the health components. But it was really interesting from uh, just a general perspective of science is to see that how rapidly the community of scientists responded to this crisis. We see across the whole sector, a shift in research from many laboratories, lots of people on Twitter I see all the time, not so much anymore, but especially in the beginning, people offering up different statistical services that they do or other approaches and other techniques. And the response from the universities was really interesting to see how we could get behind. I I received different emails such as, you know, what equipment does your laboratory have that could be useful? I think it's really interesting to see the response that scientists can have against a collective goal. This is one of the challenges that we have as a global community, but there's a lot of other ones out there. Yeah, absolutely. And so that pretty much concludes all the questions I have. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? You know what, as an air pollution scientist, especially now, I think people, as we transition, I really want to urge people to think about how and where they're going to spend their time. Until a vaccine's developed, we don't understand completely about how the properties of these aerosols are transmitted still. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I think that is, for a lot of the community, really hard to sort through. And don't feel overwhelmed if you're having a hard time trying to sort through all of that information, because 
myself and I know a lot of other researchers, we're trying to sort through what's going on. And it's also really hard for us as specialists in the field. So I think, you know, there's a lot of information out there and it might be a bit hard to digest and that's quite acceptable and understandable. Well, that is just great. And I really do appreciate your time, Matt, telling me today about your research and how you're keeping at home. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great to talk to you. Thank you. I would like to thank everyone for lending me your ears as a captive audience for today's episode. I would like to thank my guest, Professor Matthew Adams from UTM's Department of Geography for taking the time to chat with me and tell me about his research and for providing insights about some of the positive changes that might be on the horizon in a post-COVID world. I would like to thank the Office of the Vice Principal of Research for their support. If you get a chance and you are listening regularly, please take a moment to rate the podcast. It helps others find the podcast and learn more about UTM's research and its researchers. And we are also now available on Spotify, so check us out on that platform. Lastly, and as always, thank you to the Toonie Tim Lane for his tracks and support. Thank you.